Good morning, everyone. This morning, as we transition this time into our time in the Word, um, let, I want us to pray together to focus ourselves, to bring our attention, bring our presence here into this place, to each other, to ourselves, to the Holy Spirit. So if you'd stand with me, we're going to read a prayer together. I'm going to pray, and then the, the last thing is I'll, I will pray, and then you'll pray the words in bold. So I'll pray the ones in italics, and then we'll all pray together the ones in bold. So pray with me. Holy Spirit, rain down on this place. Let our souls drink your goodness. Let our hearts overflow. Holy Spirit, rain down on this place. May we feel your presence this day, Holy Spirit, like the people gathered on that day of Pentecost. May you rush into our hearts and inebriate our souls. May we be empowered by your Spirit to live a life more faithful to God. When the world divides us, Come, all of us together. Come, Holy Spirit, make us one. When the world calls us orphaned, come, Holy Spirit, make us a family. When the world leads us astray, come, Holy Spirit, call us home. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill this place. Amen. Amen. All right, you may have a seat. Uh, my name is John Ray. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, I facilitate the teaching team. We are really glad you're here, listening on podcast, watching on Facebook Live. Welcome to Grace Church. Welcome to this place. We are working our way this summer through the first part of the book of Acts. We are asking questions to the book, and we're letting the book ask questions to us. So we're continuing on that trajectory today. And we get into a really messy piece of scripture today. One that is uncomfortable, and one ultimately that refuses to be tamed. So we're going to need to pay attention as we work our way through here to provide the proper context in order to deal with this. But I want to start by telling a story. I didn't think of this in the teaching team meeting. I didn't think about it until I was preparing later. But Jane and I have actually had an experience similar to what we're going to study today. A lot of you know who have been here for a long time, I grew up going on a traveling summer camp, later working on that, that that's one of my passions is being outdoors. And I actually joined the ministry, I, I got involved in YWAM, um, largely in part as a way of training me to do that. But as often happens when one steps out and says yes to joining a mission organization, your uh, script tends to get rewritten. And so instead of doing this program for a year and going back and working for this group, I ended up staying in missions, marrying Jane, starting to have a family. And there came a point, though, in, in the ministry when, when we were having to raise support, and it was tough, and we were, we were just ready to get out, that the gentleman who owned the summer camp that I had worked on was retiring. And he contacted me and said, I want to, John, I want to sell you the camp. I want to do the camp. I was like, hallelujah, my deliverance has come. 
No more of this support raising, no more of this stuff. Finally, I get to do what I've always wanted to do, right? And, uh, and Jane and I were talking about it, but I was, man, I was already down the road. Like, I, I was like, yeah, we'll pray about it, but let's go. <laughs> and, uh, and so we went, and we started talking, and we, and we, met, with, uh, we met with Bob, the gentleman who was selling it, who was my mentor growing up. And he, he, uh, we went to his house one day, and he said, I got some bad news for you. He said, I've got another offer on the camp, and it's big. It's a former camper. His dad wants to buy it for him to run, and he's going to pay all cash, and it's more than you can pay, and I've got, I've got to take that offer. Well, I mean, we were heartbroken. We were devastated. We thought this is what God wanted for us to do was, was to do this camp. And we were still in the process of really praying, should we do it? I mean, I look, I was ready to do it. I can say I was praying about it, but I was, I was all in already with it. And so Jane and I got together, and we prayed, and we were like, Lord, if, you, if this is your will, if you want us to have this, would you just give us a sign? How long was it, Jane? It wasn't long. What's that? Yeah, it feels like two seconds looking back now. But soon after that, Bob called me back and he goes, um, you're not going to believe what happened. He said the father who was going to bankroll the thing uh, suddenly keeled over dead of a heart attack. Now, he didn't know that we had been praying, right? <laughs> but our first thought was, oh, damn. <laughs> Did we just kill somebody? I mean, is that the sign from the Lord <laughs> that we're supposed to have this camp <laughs> that God just offed this guy? <laughs> now, as we considered it and walked through that, we determined that, that God was not out literally clearing way <laughs> for us by killing people. Um, the long story, or the short part of the story is, as we continue to pray, we we said no on the camp. We, we ultimately were convicted, and God did speak to us, separate from the death of anybody, uh, that that was not what we were supposed to do. But that experience was incredibly powerful for us. Now, you can call it coincidence. You can call it whatever it is, whatever you want. But, but our, believe me, our prayers took on a new level of seriousness, after that experience, our commitment to listen was sobered. Prayer went from maybe being perfunctory, from being, hey, just something we kind of do to put the rubber stamp on what we, what we want, to something that was much more intimate and something that we were much more conscious of as we were doing it. Now we're in our story in Acts and we're going to see something in a way very similar happen. Something that brought a sobriety to the church. Something that united them together in the seriousness of the task. So, well, let's, let's look at the text. As we're doing this, we're going to ask the question and, and this is where Ananias and Sapphira die in this. Um, 
how extreme is that? Like, like how extreme would it be that God would cause the death of people who were working against his will, his purpose? And then I think that leads to ask, Acts asking us, well, how serious are we? How serious are we? So, let's look at the text. We're reading Acts chapter 5. I'm going through it quick. You can read along. I'm using the message. But a man named Ananias, his wife Sapphira, conniving in this with him, sold a piece of land. Now, this follows immediately Barnabas, the, the story of Barnabas, who was the son of encouragement. They were selling everything the church was sharing. There was said there was no one in need among them. And, and we have lifted up Barnabas as someone who is faithful in doing this. And now we have contrasting with that Ananias and Sapphira. They were conniving with him. They sold a piece of land, secretly kept part of the price for himself, and then brought the rest of the money to the apostles and made an offering of it. Peter said, Ananias, how did Satan get you to lie to the Holy Spirit and secretly keep back part of the price of the field? Before you sold it, it was all yours. And after you sold it, the money was yours to do with what you wished. So what got into you to pull a trick like this? You didn't lie to men, but to God. Ananias, when he heard these words, fell down dead. That put the fear of the Lord into everyone who heard it. The younger men were right, went right to work, wrapped him up, carried him out, buried him. Not more than three hours, his wife, knowing nothing of what happened, came in. Peter said, tell me, were you given a, this price for your field? Yes, she said. That price. Peter responded, What's going on here that you have connived to conspire against the Holy Spirit, against the Spirit of the Master? The men who buried your husband are at the door, and you're next. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than she also fell down dead. When the young men returned, they found her body, they carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. By this time, the whole church, and in fact, everyone who heard these things, had a healthy respect for God. They knew God was not to be trifled with. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come and take the offering now. Um, I'm sure you're all properly convicted that this would be the appropriate time to do that. And uh, we'll be asking later if this is the correct amount that you wanted to give. No, we're not going to do that. Right? Thank God. Um, I mean, this begs the question, what kind of God does this? One of, the, one of the main conversations I have with young people who are, who are coming into the faith of their own, they're, they're making their faith their own, they may have grown up in church, but they become young adults and they ask questions, is, is they struggle with, is the God of the Old Testament, who seems so vengeful, in some ways so bloodthirsty, is that the same God in the New Testament? Because they seem so different. And, uh, and oftentimes people do, do make that distinction. They go, I, I don't get God. I don't understand the Old Testament. I love Jesus. I'm just going to focus on Jesus. Jesus is merciful. Which is fine until you come across this, because this, this, is, this is on the right side of the book. This is in the New Testament. If this was an Old Testament story, we might be able to dismiss it as such. But it's not. And not only is it in the New Testament, it's a foundational story. It's a foundational story for the for the founding of the church, because when it says, and the church greatly respected or was in fear, that's the first time Luke uses that word, church. You would think that the first time would be right after Pentecost. You would think that that's when he would use it. Luke never uses it throughout his gospel. And in Acts, 
this is the first time he uses it, and it comes in this story. Now, remember, we need to combine these stories in our brain with, with Barnabas before the church being together and this because they go together. Uh, Amy made a great observation. This is, this is very reminiscent of Cain and Abel. The story of one offering was accepted and one was not. And we've talked about that a lot in our biblical hermeneutic, how we understand that a lot of the New Testament is retelling the Old Testament stories, but to a different end. We also see reflected here uh, the story in Joshua 7 of Achan, that where some of the children of Israel, the warriors, held back some of the goods that they had looted, hid it under their tent, and it caused distress among the people of Israel. We see that replayed here as well. But even with that being true, what, what's going on here? Um, this is where I'm supposed to say something really smart. This is where I'm supposed to offer you a plausible exact, um, explanation. I'm either supposed to explain it away or tell you how it works with the whole thing. I ain't got it. It's a messy story. I don't like to think about this. I don't like to, th- I don't like to think that God would literally kill two people because they lied. I think there's resonance here also, though. Um, We've taught about this before, the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is the sin of utter denial of the Holy Spirit, is, is the deception of saying, of lying to the Holy Spirit, lying about and lying to the Holy Spirit. I think there's echoes of that here. I don't think it's a complete explanation with that. But here's the thing. We can still learn from it. We don't have to fully understand it. We don't even have to like it. But we can learn from it. And this is where discipline comes in. This is where we have to make a decision. Am I following Jesus because I can make Jesus fit in my box? Am I following Jesus because primarily I am using Jesus as a way to achieve my goals? Am I looking to Scripture and picking and choosing from Scripture for things that fit my preferences, my cultural understanding, and my comfort? In other words, am I submitting Scripture to me? Or am I going to submit to Scripture? Am I going to submit all those things, my preferences, my culture, and my agenda to the Holy Spirit, even when I don't understand it, even when it offends me, even when I can't explain it? That's the choice this text demands of us. Are we going to submit ourselves to Scripture? Are we going to make Scripture submit to us? Because I believe when we submit ourselves to Scripture, what we're going to see is a lesson that is invaluable, that is essential for us to learn as the church.
You see, the church, as we see it in Acts, we're starting to, we're starting to see it more clear and more, and more clearly as we go along, is what God has been after all along. It's what the Old Testament promised. These short little glimpses of, of them holding everything together, of praying daily, of breaking bread together, of it being men and women in equal status and position along with slaves, slave owners, Gentiles, Jews, this is what was promised. This is what God was always after in the Old Testament, is that there would be a community of such unity that there would be no need among them. That, that the vision of shalom that God had always intended is being experienced, maybe for the very first time since the Garden of Eden. That is being experienced in this community. Radical transformation, reconciliation is happening. Maybe for the first time since the Garden of Eden with this. And what we're seeing in Acts is the whole purpose of the book is a living exegesis of what God wants. It's a demonstration of all the principles that we study. All those things, what we're seeing it is played out in this community. Acts is not so much stories that we read to extract principles from as principles that we've learned being fleshed out in the story. That's what's happening in the book, is we're seeing the truth of God lived out, actually applied, and done. This is radical, what is happening in this. You see, the church is the place and the people where the salvation of God, the proof of God's trustworthiness, is to be experienced. Not just in Acts, but in us. That's what we're supposed to be about. Through the work of the apostles, and it goes, so it goes on. It tells this story as it goes on. It goes, through the work of the apostles, many God signs were set up among the people. Many wonderful things done. They all met regularly and in remarkable harmony on the temple porch named after Solomon. <clears throat> but even though people admired them a lot, outsiders were wary about joining them. On the other hand, those who put their trust in the master were added right and left, both men and women. Again, this, we pass over that because it seems so innocuous today. That women would be included in this community was radical. Women were not disciples. They couldn't be. They were culturally kept separate. They are not kept separate in the church with that. They even carried their sick out in the street and laid them on stretchers and bedrolls, hoping that they would be touched by Peter's shadow when he walked by them. They came from the villages surrounding Jerusalem, throngs of them, bringing the sick and the bedeviled, and they were all healed. Provoked mightily by this, now here we get, we, we need to understand the transition here. Ananias and Sapphira present a, a threat to the church from within. Now we're going to see the threat to the church from without. Provoked mightily by this, the chief priest and those on 
his side, mainly the sect of the Sadducees, went into action. The rest of the apostles put them in the town jail. But during the night, an angel of God opened the jailhouse door and led them out. He said, go to the temple, take your stand, tell the people everything there is to say about this life. Promptly obedient, they entered the temple at daybreak and went on with their teaching. Meanwhile, the chief priest and his cronies convened the high council, Israel's senate, and sent to the jail to have the prisoners brought in. When the police got there, they couldn't find them anywhere in the jail. They went back and reported, uh, we found the jail, locked tight as a drum, the guards posted the doors, nobody's inside. The chief of the temple police and the high priest were puzzled, what's going on here? And to the note, like, they were doing all this, they should have been in the temple. Um, just then, someone showed up and said, uh, you know the guys you, you put away? They, yeah, they're back in the temple. The chief and his police went and got them, but they handled them gently because they were fearful that the people would riot and turn on them. Bringing them back, they stood them before the high council. The chief priest said, didn't we give you strict orders not to teach in Jesus' name? And, and here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are trying your best to blame us for the death of this man. Peter and the apostles answered, and this is becoming an ongoing response that we see. It is necessary to obey God rather than men. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, the one you killed. They make no bones. You're, yeah, we're trying to blame it on it because you, you did it. Um, the one you killed by hanging him on a cross. God set him on, on high at his side, prince and savior, and gave to Israel the gift of a changed life and sins forgiven. And we are witnesses to these things. The Holy Spirit, whom God gives to those who obey, corroborates every detail. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to kill him on the spot. But one of the council members stood up, a Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel, a teacher of God's law who was honored by everyone. He ordered the men taken out of the room for a short time and said, Hey guys, fellow Israelites, be careful with these men. Not long ago, and he goes into this detailed account of people who had raised up and who were set down, people who claimed to be the Messiah and were shown to be a fraud. And so he ends by saying, look, if this is, if this is not of God, it's going to peter out. It's going to fizzle. We don't have to worry about it. And it is of God, and he's speaking prophetically here. He doesn't know it, but he is. He says, if, if it is of God, we don't need to be against it. Like, we don't need to oppose it. Well, they listened to him this time. They called the apostles back in, and after giving, a thorough, giving them a thorough whipping, they warned them not to speak of Jesus' name and sent them off. The apostles went out of the high council overjoyed because they had been given the honor of being dishonored on account of the name. Every day they were in the temple and homes teaching and preaching Jesus Christ, not letting up for a minute. Look, God is all through this text. We, we, we say this as we're teaching Acts, just as a reminder. Sometimes it's easy to lose sight because it talks about Peter, it talks about John, it talks about the apostles, it's going to talk about Paul doing these things. They're not the hero. The hero's story is God the Holy Spirit. The hero of the story is Jesus Christ. And God is just as much involved in unlocking prison doors as convicting people to the point where they fall over dead of lying to the Holy Spirit. He's everywhere. God is everywhere in this text. God is moving. And the thing that God is moving in, around, and through is the church. 
Time and time again in the Old Testament, it talks about Israel being God's precious possession. Same language is here. Same evidence is here for the church. Grace Church, we are God's precious possession. We are the living explanation of Scripture. We are the ones who revere and honor, who obey and sacrifice, who rejoice and celebrate all around and because of God. That's what we do. That is to be our identity. That is to be the thing that defines us. And we need to let that soak into our imaginations. You see, God the Holy Spirit is both protecting the church here, but also forming the church. It's interesting to think about the God who would open a cell door to let the disciples out, but wouldn't step in and prevent a whipping. And as we're going to see as this progresses, the persecution is going to get much worse. And we could, we could, on the surface, say, well, God's really not powerful. Well, God's not really for them. Or God's... But listen, it's, it's all part of God's molding process that's happening with this. God the Holy Spirit is doing this same thing in us right here, right now. We're talking a lot right now. We're having a leaders meeting after church uh, today where we've been talking about discipleship and leadership and what that looks like. Who's supposed to be involved? How do we define that? What do we do? As we do that, we cannot lose sight of the goal. The goal is that we are to be the living hermeneutic, the tangible witness, the local point of contact for the kingdom of God. Literally, that's what we are. We're like a local office of the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be the place where you come in and you go, what's this God thing? I heard about it. I need, I, what is it? We're like, step right up. Come, let us show you. Not in a teaching, not in a sermon. This isn't the place you're going to get it. Listen to me talk. You're going to get it as we do life. You're going to get it as we are living together, as we are sharing together, as we are meeting each other's needs, as we are together devoting ourselves to the study of Scripture and to reaching out and serving the poor, the widow, the orphan, the neediest among us. That's where you're going to get it. That's where you're going to see it. That's what we're supposed to be, is this local office of the kingdom of God with that. We're talking about discipleship as well, and this is what fuels our discipleship. This is the goal, because discipleship is the prioritized, obedient response of those of us who are called to follow Jesus. That's, that's what discipleship is. And there is no discipleship that is something that is extra. If you are called to follow Jesus, if you have prayed the sinner's prayer, if you have been baptized, if you had made that commitment, you are a disciple. Discipleship is not something you tack on. It is not optional. You are being discipled, and you are discipling others. The question is what? Towards what end and by who? As followers of Jesus, our discipleship is the prioritized, obedient response to follow, to follow Jesus in every way. The primary place we do that is the church. We cannot do it separate from the church. It's impossible to do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up.
as we respond to this. And I want to leave us with this question. Do we really believe do we really believe that we are part of a group that God is so passionate about that he actually might take someone out? I don't like that question. That question bugs me. That question is hard for me to, to even ask. I mean, that, that starts skating into territory where you're thinking, this place is weird, right? I mean, come on, Right? But when I start to really go down that road, what I find in it is my heart is, it's not that that bugs me so much. It's more that if that is true, or something like it is true, then I'm not really in control here. That this isn't about me. That being part of this group is not about my best life now. It's not here to get Jesus to pimp my life out. Like, this is about Jesus. And do we want to be part of a church that we can control? That makes sense to our human understanding? That fits all our little cultural boxes of what's appropriate, and what's, what's correct, and what's nice? Or do we want to be part of the kingdom of God that the revelation of God's heart that he has expressed throughout history. Is that what we want to be a part of? Because if we think this scripture is messy, the life that is demanded by that church is unbelievably messy out of our control beyond anything we could hope or imagine and I think that's the ultimate question here how serious are we about the church how committed are we are we submitted to it or is it submitted to us with that so we're going to take time to think about this to reply and and it's not a yes or no question I mean it's something that we're going to have to ponder continually, um, but we need to act on this.